Hi, this is Jim Walden. I'm senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Temple City, California, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us. In these challenging days, if you're looking for hope and encouragement, you found a good place. We hope God's Word inspires you, speaks to your heart, and grows your faith. Enjoy the message. Amen, Father. That's what we are here to do this morning. We aren't here for our glory. We're not here for our focus. Even though we are the apple of your eye, we are here to bring all praise and glory to you. I love all the words there of what you did through the cross and the resurrection. And as we sang in the previous song, oh, that you would be welcome in this place. You lead us, whether we're watching online or we're here in person. Father, you lead. Thank you for being who you are. We love you. Your church loves you for being especially our Father. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And speaking of Father, we simply want to say happy Father's Day. If you're a father, would you raise your hand? Oh, good. We're so grateful that you're here. Thanks for coming. And Lord, as we get ready for a message time, I, I tend to my soul to be able to worship easier through songs and prayer. But maybe, Father, at times, I'm not even ready to hear what you'd want to say to me. But we just want to present ourselves to you right now and just say, have your way. I thank you again for everyone who is listening and watching and here with us. Thanks for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. And if the kids would like to go with Zach to Kids Zone, they can meet him in the back and have a wonderful time together. If you haven't done it, let me just remind you again, grab your cell phone and silence it. I know that can just go off and be distracting at the most inopportune moment. So grateful that you're here. And I have to give special acknowledgement and say, I want to welcome back Roger Lockie and his bride, Barb. It is so good to have you back with us. Wow, we have missed you. So welcome. So good that you're here. Did I just go out? There you go. I want to remind you to pray for several folks. Um, One I don't have on the screen. Some of you have been praying for Mark Garrosin, who's a missionary and pastor in Colombia who contracted COVID, had it so severely, they flew him back to the States, to Florida. And he was in desperate need of prayer and healing. And God has touched his life. He's going to be released to go back to Columbia to see his wife, who also is getting over COVID. So for those of you that knew about Mark's plight and were praying for him, we can't thank you enough. Also, Lauren Wingard, the service was just a little bit ago, right, is back in Missouri. He lost his father, Eldon. And uh, he's flying back tonight. Is that correct? Okay. So I know he appreciates your prayers and our thoughts are with him. Ron Parker had successful arthroscopic gallbladder surgery this past week. So he's home recovering and appreciates your prayers. And then the the Austers have a couple neighbors, Jill Bolai, as well as Alana, who just two gals in their oikos, in their world, that are in need of special prayer. Lots of different circumstances there that the Lord knows about, but we want to ask you to pray for them. Sound good? So would you bow with me right now, and let's ask God to speak to us, okay? Lord, when we sang those words in that last hymn, our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. I can't wait to see your face. And you are the one who constantly is approaching us 
drawing people to you. You aren't the God that people seek. You are the God who seeks people. The great shepherd who goes after lost sheep, just like me. And thank you for caring and loving us so much. Thank you for Lauren. Ask that he would know our prayers. You'd bring him back safely on that flight tonight. Ron, as he's at home recovering with Monica and Rosie. For Jill and Alana, two neighbors of the officers who have needs that you know about. And I'm so grateful in this crazy world that nothing escapes your attention. You know what's going on in the souls of each person who's here and listening. And you care. And you still are calling us to come back to you, to trust you, to walk with you. Thank you that we get the privilege of walking with you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that can take away our sin. Thank you for your resurrection that proved you defeated death once and for all. And thank you that there is a day of resurrection coming. Lord, we continue to pray for our world, our nation, our president, our vice president, our Congress, our House, our Senate, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Supreme Court, our governors, our mayors, our first responders of firefighters, police, medical staff. Oh God, how I ask for this nation that there would be a revival. That people would see the futility of walking in their own ways and would come back to you. Thanks especially for all the dads. I'm so thrilled that I'm a father. And thank you for all the children, grandchildren represented here today. And precious Father, you've given us your word. Your son is the living word and you wrote your word down and have preserved it all these centuries and millennia. And I want you to come and speak. Would you be the one speaking through me, Holy Spirit? And help us to lay aside any distraction, any prejudice, any frustration, any sin, and give it to you and ask you to speak. So thanks for what you're going to do. I love you and I love your church. So come speak in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. Well, again, I'm very grateful that you are here and have taken the time to worship us, maybe even online. And I want to invite you to grab your Bible as well as your fill-in-the-blank outline. If you tuned in and didn't see it on the website, we loaded it just this morning. So if you want to go back to uh, the main page of our website, you can grab the fill-in-the-blank and follow along there with us. So good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I'm so grateful that you're here. One more thing I want to share with you. We support Nurme Christian Academy in Gotani, Kenya. Krista and Abel uh, serve at that place, and they're going to be building a new school. And here's a picture of the children as they're rehearsing for their groundbreaking ceremony tomorrow. If you like to get up early, you can go to Facebook if you have an account and type in Nurme Christian Academy and watch their groundbreaking ceremony for their brand new school building. They want to expand their school to reach hundreds of children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So 5 a.m. tomorrow, if you go to Facebook and type in Nurme, you'll find them and uh, 
the children are going to be performing. They are so sweet, and I hope you'll have a chance to look at that. Okay, we're getting back into our series on the book of Revelation, and today we come to chapter 11. Oh, I got a few woo-hoos. Why is that a big deal? Once we get through chapter 11, we're halfway through the book of Revelation with 22 chapters. Yeah, that got a woo-hoo too, didn't it? Well, last week in chapter 10, we looked at an interlude that continues into chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 to 14 today. And as I like to say, and I'm going to risk saying it again, you didn't call me to be popular. You called me to be pastor. And I know that my responsibility is to teach what, as I dig and search what the scripture says, and the final conclusion for today may not be popular, but I'm not concerned about being popular. I have to admit, I'm very grateful today. I feel like a rich man because my wife still loves me, and so does my son and daughter-in-law. If I'm popular with them, that's all I need. I don't need much else. But I want to share something that's not popular to talk about in the church today, and that is, does the church go through the great tribulation? I want you to consider a few more things with me today. And for those of you that like Star Wars, I want to give you a visual memory to help you remember something that I want us to consider. And that's, how many of you remember C-3PO? Remember him? Well, I like using his letter initials to remember three issues that we often wrestle with in our belief and we also wrestle with as a church. And they, what's the C? The C is what are our convictions? What are our convictions? And convictions are those which we hold to and we will not budge. Some of our convictions I believe you have with me is that Jesus is the son of God, amen? Born of a virgin, sinless life, died a death that atoned for anyone who will turn to him, had a bodily resurrection. He's coming back someday. And the word of God is just that. It's what? The word of God. Those are some convictions we don't budge on. Now in a church, we're also gonna have persuasions. These are things we feel very strongly about but it's not something that has to do with salvation, right? It's not what makes sure you are right with God, which is never your efforts. It's what God has done for you. Sound good? We all have persuasions. What's the third one? Then we all have opinions. And opinions are like navels. Everybody has one, so what? And I think sometimes in the church, we struggle. Sometimes in families, we struggle with these three. If you've never done it, maybe you and your spouse or you and your children sit down and say, let's lay out on paper what our convictions are, what our persuasions are, and what our opinions are. You ever notice in the church how many battles there are over persuasions and opinions and not necessarily convictions? Well, I want to talk about a conviction I have. Now, if you disagree with me and I'm wrong about the time of the great tribulation and if the church is taken up out of the world by Jesus before the tribulation starts, I'll celebrate with you and you can explain it to me on the way up. If we go through the tribulation... I'll sit with you and we'll talk about it as we go through it. Sound good? All right. But what I want to show you today in Revelation 11 is the Lord is coming back and he still wants a witness. And this is a conviction that I have that has to do with the great tribulation because I can't see any time in scripture where God on the earth doesn't have a witness. Now we're going to talk about two witnesses today. 
But we'll tie that in eventually. And the question is, if we go through the tribulation, will the church be ready? Because I believe the church on the earth is not just to be here to escape, but it's to be a witness. Let's look at it. Revelation 11, verse 1. Is that all fair enough? Nobody's left yet. Maybe they've logged out online. I don't know. But you haven't gotten angry enough yet to leave, so let's look at it. Revelation 11:1. 1. John says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And I was told to go and what? Measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. Most churches on Sundays, they count the worshipers. They don't measure the building. But we'll talk about that. Here's my question when he says measure the temple. Was God concerned about measuring a building or us? What are we like? How do we measure up in God's eyes? Because the Bible makes it clear that, say it with me, church, we are his what? We are his temple. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you all are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is where? In you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at the price. Therefore, honor God with your. So God really has two temples. He's got the church where he dwells and he has the individual in which the spirit also dwells. In Romans 8, Paul said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who, what? And the temple was a place where the glory and the presence of God was supposed to dwell. Now it's the church. Remember this? John said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now what's this mean? When God started his great redeeming history, he started with a nation called Israel. And when Israel refused to walk with God and obey him, we were grafted into Israel, the family of God. So now you and I are the Israel of God, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. In Romans 11, Paul talks about Israel losing their, so to speak, status with God and says, you will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they, Israel, were broken off because of what? Unbelief. And you stand how? By faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, that's the nation Israel, he will not spare you either. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. That's why I think in Galatians 6, Paul says, we've been brought into the Israel of God when he says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of, that's not just the biological Jews, that's anyone who is a child of Abraham, the father of all those who believe. Hebrews 8 says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. Is that just the Jews? No, look. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be what? My people. So here's my question. Almost no one will debate that the Jews and Israel will go through the tribulation, right? So the question is, is the church present in the tribulation 
with what we're going to see, the two witnesses. Well, let's consider that. What was John measuring when the Lord said, measure the temple? Well, let's think about it this way. In Revelation 10.7, Amos 3.7, remember we've seen those verses that God does nothing without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. Well, where else do we see someone who was told to order the temple? It was Ezekiel. And he measured the length of the inner sanctuary. It was 20 cubits and its width was 20 cubits across the end of the outer sanctuary. And he said to me, this is the most holy place. So Ezekiel, centuries before, was ordered to measure God's physical temple. What's John measuring? I believe he's measuring the condition of the church at the time of the tribulation. And if you don't remember, we're between trumpets five and six. And if you're not sure what that means, go back and watch the previous messages. Because trumpet seven wraps up the time of the tribulation. We're going to start to see that today. and We're going to conclude it next week. What's the condition of the church? Because in Luke 18, Jesus said this, when the Son of Man comes, who's the Son of Man? Let me hear you. Jesus is. Most translations say, will he find faith on the earth? It's not what it is in the Greek manuscript. In the Greek, it's will he find what? The faith. The faith in the Son of Man. By the way, everyone has faith. You all had faith when you came in here today. You sat down in a chair and I watched. Not one of you tested that chair. Not one of you put your foot on it, rattled it, looked at the manufacturing date, see if there's an expiration. No, you came in and just what? You placed your weight on it. That's what faith is all about. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith on the earth? Jesus also said in Matthew 24, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now that's interesting because that word love there is the Greek word agape. It's not phylos love, like we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's not like eros, where we get the word erotic love. It's the word agape, which is only the love that God has and can place in people. And when Jesus says, because of the increase in wickedness, and he's talking about the end times, the love of most will grow cold. He's talking about the agape love. That's not the love just anybody has. That's the love that God puts in the hearts of his people. Does that make sense? And what's going to happen towards the end? The love of most will grow what? Hey, you all know what it's like when someone's love grows cold towards you, right? Jesus said there's going to come a time where his people's love is going to grow cold. That's a whole other sermon. That actually terrifies me. But what is our responsibility as a church, no matter what time we live in? It is to contend for the faith to contend for the faith. Jude wrote it this way. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to you and me, the saints. God wants us contending for the faith. So I'm going to come back to this point. I'm not going to ask what are our persuasions. Those can change. I'm not going to ask what our opinions are. Those are really odd. But what are our convictions? Well, let's go to verse 2. We'll keep moving through. God tells him to measure, which I believe is the condition of the church. Verse 2, but exclude the outer court, he said. It's where the Gentiles were, not the Jews. Don't measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will trample 
on the holy city for how long? 42 months. How many years is that roughly? Three and a half. Very good. And when it says the Gentiles, it's literally the word ethne, where we get ethnic. When he says the ethnes, the ethnics, the, the nations, those that aren't the Jews, will trample it. The nations are not measured. God doesn't say measure them, but watch. Their activity is monitored. God even says they're going to trample Jerusalem, the holy city, for three and a half years. Jesus spoke about this time of trampling to come. In Luke 21, he said, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that's been written. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In other words, what he's saying there is people in the tribulation will continue to either rebel or repent. They're either going to rebel or repent. They're either going to keep living their own ways. We'll see this even when we get to Revelation 22 in a few years. But they're either going to rebel or they're going to repent. And I have a question for you. How's the church doing on repenting? I think a lot of us have understood that when you come to Christ, you have to repent, which means to turn from your sin and come to Christ, right? But I think the church thinks that repentance is a one-time act. Well, years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. I went to a Billy Graham crusade or I went to a service and I walked the aisle or I signed a card or I said a sinner's prayer, so I repented. No, gang, repentance is something that God wants to see every day. Especially out of his preachers. Because in the tribulation, there's only gonna be two camps. Don't you love the movie, What About Bob? You seen that? When Bob Wiley says to the psychologist, there's only two types of people in the world, those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. In the tribulation, there's only gonna be two types of people, those who are gonna continue to rebel against God and those who are gonna repent. See, Revelation 9, that we saw a few weeks ago, said the rest of mankind that were not killed by the plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop Worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Siri, Alexa, Google, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts. That's the word for drug abuse. Their sexual immorality or their thefts. But still, watch this. The Lord will conclude the great tribulation in the last three and a half years. Here's the good news. Even though Satan is letting out his wrath and we saw the great abyss that opened up and all the demons that came out to attack the earth, God is still in control. Are you glad? Man, am I glad. And he will conclude the tribulation and we're gonna see it here today in the last three and a half years. You say, how? Here it is, verse three. I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth was a, a garment they would wear to show that they were in mourning, repentance, sorrow for sin and grief. How long is 1,260 days? It's about what? Three and a half years. 
And notice when it comes to the same span of time, John uses the measurement of days, another time uses the measurement of months, and another time uses the measurement of years. This will help you as you read through Daniel. We're just going to touch on Daniel a little bit here. But I want to help you with this, so this is free. I won't charge you for it. So in Daniel and Revelation, when the Bible mentions days, months, and years, why does it use these differentiations for the same amount of time, which is three and a half years? Well, when you see days, it's referring to the people of God. You'll see that as you go through scripture. It's it's referring to God's people, God's chosen, his servants. That's why it says 1,260 days. Why? My best guess is Matthew 6. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each what? Day has enough trouble of its own. How does God want us to live? A day at a time. And I think that's why the scripture refers to days when it talks about God's people. When you come to months, and in the weeks ahead, we're going to get into the account of the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. But when you see months... It's almost always referring to the Antichrist and his followers. Do you notice that's why it said, and the Gentiles will trample the holy city for 42 months. That's Satan's kingdom. Days had to do with Jesus. Because by the way, Jesus is also called the ancient of, yeah, you got it. Then when you come to years, like the seven years of the tribulation, it's including both the Antichrist and God's people all in the same event. Does that make sense? I hope that helps you. It helps me a lot as I read scripture. So he gives power to two witnesses for three and a half years. For three and a half years, these guys are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? Now, these two men are called witnesses. Why? Well, Jesus said, when you receive what? Power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? Hey, can I help alleviate a great burden? God is not expecting you to be perfect. Can I get an amen? God is not expecting pastors to be perfect. Yeah, good. Okay, good. That's why we still love each other, right? God just wants you to be a witness. Sometimes the best witness is when you sin, you don't beat yourself up, you repent. Some of the best witnesses when we obey, and you may say, well, God, I haven't obeyed you, but you can in repentance. Because what Jesus wants us to be is a witness. Isn't it great if you never went to seminary, which Lee has been and Doug has been and Bill's not here today, but I know he has. Isn't it great to know that Jesus didn't say, you will be my theologians? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, you'll be my Republicans? Aren't you glad that you don't have to pick a party to be in the kingdom of God? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, You'll be my Baptists. I like being a Baptist. But Jesus wants us to be a witness. No matter what day we're living in, no matter what you're going through, you might be going through a great tribulation in your life right now. You say, and I don't know what to do. How about this? Tell Jesus you'll be his witness. What do we teach children to sing? This little light of mine. I'm gonna hide it under a bushel. No. You will be my witnesses. So why does he have two? In Matthew 18, Jesus said, you take two along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of what? Two or three 
witnesses. In Mark, he sent them out how? Two by two. That's a great reminder. Listen, if you're trying to live this life of following Christ alone, that's a bad recipe. Even Ecclesiastes says, pity the fool, quoting the theologian Mr. T, who walks alone because if he or she falls, they have no one to what? Help them up. But if two walk together, they're stronger, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken like a rope. So he sends two out there, and these two are represented by olive trees and lampstands. Now, we've got to understand, why all of a sudden do we have olive trees and lampstands in verse 4? These witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. So you've got two witnesses, and then they're called these two items. A lampstand, that was in the temple. And olive trees were part of what was used in the temple. Well, what do we do? Again, you ask, where in the prophets are olive trees and lampstands revealed? You go to Zechariah chapter 4. Look at this. The Lord said to Zechariah, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold, what? Lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. And again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out the golden oil. He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. So one of them is like a lampstand. One of them's like an olive tree. So let's ask this question. Jim, that just seems kind of confusing, right? What is this prophetic utterance by Zechariah all about? Well, let's look at the setup. This message back at this time was to a governor. His name was what? Zerubbabel. He was the governor of Israel when the second temple was built. Now in the book of Revelation, we come to God saying, measure the temple. Well, what's Zerubbabel mean? Zerub is a Hebrew word that means to sow. You probably know what Babel means. It means what? We say, you're just babbling on. Maybe that's how they got with Babylon and on and on. But Zerubbabel means to sow in confusion. Does that sound like today? Let me ask you a question. You think there's some confusion going on in the world right now? Well, what do you do in times of confusion? Well, God says in times of confusion, his word by his witnesses will still be sown. Guess what our world needs today, gang? The word of God. Because the word of God lasts how long? And the last I checked, that's kind of a long time, isn't it? Here's the question. Even for today, will people listen? How about a better one? Will we share it? You know, there's one thing Satan wants to accomplish no matter what tribulation you're going through, and that is, will you be ashamed of God's word or will you declare it? Now, you may already know, a lot of people think these two witnesses are whom? Moses and Elijah. Why do we think it may be Moses and Elijah? We're gonna see it. It's because of their miracles. Moses did a lot of great miracles, right? Part of the Red Sea, Brought down manna from heaven, right? Look in Revelation 11, verse 5. 
these two witnesses. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky. Who did that in the Old Testament? Elijah. And it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. It's very interesting because in Elijah's day, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And how long will he be prophesying in Jerusalem? Three and a half years. They had the power to turn the waters into blood. Who did that? Moses. Strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. So number one, it's because they're miracles. Second reason we think it's these guys is because Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, paired them together. Malachi put them together. God shows his prophets what he's going to do. Malachi 4. Here they are. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. And see, I will send you the prophet Elijah. There he is. Before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes, before the Lord returns, before the day of the Lord. And he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I'll come and strike the land with a curse. Thirdly, they've already appeared together one other time in Scripture. Do you remember that? Jesus is on what we call the mountain of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are there with him. And who shows up? Two men, who are they? Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about his death to come. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. Here's the point of all this. The law, first five books, and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, sum up all of God's writing to the Jews. In Matthew 22, Jesus said this, all the law and the prophets hang on the two commands, which are what? Love God love others. Another reason we think it's Moses and Elijah is because the Jews are still waiting for Elijah to return. Do you know in the spring at the Orthodox Jews, when they hold a Passover meal, at the end of their table, there's one empty chair every year. Guess who that empty chair is for? Elijah. They're still waiting for him. Unfortunately, they missed him. In Luke 1, when John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, is getting a special message from the angel Gabriel. The angel says, many of the people of Israel, John the Baptist will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of what? Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, just like the end of Malachi right there. In Matthew 17, Jesus said, I tell you, Elijah has already come, but they did not what? recognize him. That was John the Baptist. They did everything they wished. They beheaded him. So let's go to verse 7. Now, when these two have finished their testimony, this is the end of the three and a half years, the beast that comes up, remember seeing the abyss opened up, will attack them, overpower, and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom. That's kind of yikes, isn't it? Because what's Sodom known for? Their great immorality. And Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Again, Sodom has to do with immorality. And Egypt, this is interesting. The Hebrew word for Mitzrayim, that's Egypt. Mitzrayim in Hebrew is our English word Egypt. But the root word of Mitzrayim is to be under siege. Not surprising because when Israel was slaves in Egypt, they were under siege, right? God rescued them 
from their slavery. And Egypt is a picture of sin. Jesus rescues us from our sin. Is this all making sense? I hope so. Okay. So verse 9. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. So they're going to kill these two martyrs. I don't know how, these two witnesses. By the way, the Greek word martyr is our English word witness. When Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, he says, you'll be my martyrions. Now, it doesn't mean to die. It just means that so many witnesses in Bible times did die that they became synonymous. But they're going to kill them. And for three and a half days, they're going to leave their bodies in the street and gaze on them. Is that kind of weird? By the way, let me just say, we're having a fun day today called Father's Day, right? Happy Father's Day. Here's another one fun. Do you know that it's only 27 weeks till Christmas? You only got 27 weeks to shop. Is that unbelievable how fast it's coming? Why do I bring up Christmas? Because it's like a new holiday will be instituted. Here it is. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate, celebrate by sending each other what? It's like it's going to be a new Christmas celebration because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. This was all predicted by our Lord. If you've ever read Psalm 79, you've seen these words. Oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They've defiled your holy temple. They've reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have given the dead bodies of your servants as food to the birds of the air and the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. And they have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem. And there's what? They won't bury the dead. Predicted in the book of Psalms. Verse 11. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they will stand on their feet and terror will strike those who see them. There's going to be a public resurrection of those that they know were dead. But the breath of God is going to come into the witnesses and they're going to live again. By the way, if you belong to Jesus Christ, the day is going to come when the breath of God will re-enter your body and you will be raised in a glorious body. Is that great? I'm going to have hair. Is that just the best? (laughs) And the witnesses heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they will go up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies will look on. I find this fascinating because when we started this whole series in the prophetic part of Revelation, the first three chapters are about the churches and the orders to John. In chapter four, look, Chapter 4 starts off this way. I, John, looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said what? Come up here. Is that the same command we're going to hear? I wonder, because the Bible says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. What's that shout? I wonder if it's, hey, dinner's ready. Come up here. With the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And imagine how powerful an event this will be. And I'm setting this all up because we've gone through trumpets one through six. Next week, we get to the seventh trumpet. And we're going to talk about that, I believe, when God calls his people. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified. And what do they finally do? They gave glory to the God of heaven. See, here's my point as you go through all this. 
Am I right? We're going to find out. But as I scour scripture, I can't help but say the Lord is always sending witnesses to a hardened world. Follower of Jesus. You going through tough times right now? Do you know one reason why God is allowing it? He's using you as a witness. Don't look at your discouragements and don't look at your failures and don't look at your frustrations and, and, and start pulling out your hair and say, there's no purpose in this. God is using you. God has always had a witness. And I believe through the tribulation, he'll have a witness. By the way, many are going to escape. Zechariah 14, I'll gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. The houses ransacked. The women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives, will be split in two from east to west. Right now, the Mount of Olives is on a valley that runs north-south. When Jesus steps foot, a new valley east-west is going to open with part of the mountain of Jerusalem going south and part going north. And he says, you will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel, and you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. Let me just remind you, the book of Revelation is all about the gospel, that the Lord is calling people to what? Repentance. I believe God is still calling his church today to repentance. Gang, there's stuff we gotta repent of. If we wanna be a witness, if we wanna be a lamp to the world, we gotta repent. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance for those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So let's, let's wrap it up this way. You ready? Convictions, persuasions, opinions. Y'all got that? Here's a conviction I have. If there's no church in the tribulation, who are these guys? Some say, well, see, we think the church is raptured out of the world because Paul talks in Thessalonians about the one who keeps the evil one at bay until he's taken out of the way. And the Holy Spirit has always promised to be with us, right? God said, I'll never, what? Leave you, I will never forsake you. I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And some come along and say, well, the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way in the tribulation and is gone from the earth. Really? Then who are these witnesses? These two guys don't possess the Holy Spirit like we do? You mean God's going to take his Holy Spirit out of the world and then bring it back for three and a half years? I have a real tough time working that one through. Friends, I believe the Holy Spirit is still on earth through the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Why? As a witness. And I'm concerned sometimes that we as a church just want to act like we just want to get out. Now, let's be honest. Raise your hand if you really want to go through the great tribulation. I don't see hands going up. But did Jesus say in this world it will be easy? No, he said in this world you will be my witnesses. No matter what happens, you will be a witness. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And now he sent his son into our life. And he wants the church not to escape. 
and I'm concerned that maybe we get in our holy huddles every Sunday and we just want to be safe and we go out in the world, we hope we escape everything. And Jesus said, I send you out into the world like sheep among wolves. And here's my deal. What do we really love? Can I just capsulize it all this besides more than convictions or persuasions or opinions? What do we really love? Do we really love our lives? Do we really want to hold on to what we have or do we love Jesus? You know, a lot of people mock Peter for saying, oh, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll even die for you. And we all know what happened with that threefold scenario, right? But at least that's what he desired. And I wonder in our world today, what's the church desire? Do we just want to get out? Or do we want to be here for what Jesus called us to be? Doug, I think when you were pastoring here, this church was known as the beacon on Baldwin. Are we? Or do we just want to preserve our lives? Say, Jesus, I'm glad you forgive my sin, but suffering, forget that action. What if Jesus had come that way from the Father? Father, I love you, but suffering? Mm Mm-mm. So why wouldn't the church still be here since our call is to be a witness? And if the followers of Jesus don't go through the tribulation, why do these poor suckers have to? Can I just use a horrible phrase if you want to fire me, go ahead. It's a terrible phrase, but I can't think of anything better. You know when you say, sucks to be you? Is that what the church is saying to these guys? Well, they can handle it, but not us. Hey, go say that to Christians in other nations right now where the gospel is outlawed and today people are being arrested. Today people are being beaten. Today people are being raped. Today people are being killed. Today. And again, if you haven't seen Sheep Among Wolves, volume two, go to YouTube, look it up, Sheep Among Wolves, volume two, and you'll see what's going on in the church in Iran. Because they say, I want to love Jesus. And I'm not saying, hey, let's, let's have a sign-up list for who wants to suffer but good news. They turn and give glory to God when they see the witnesses rise and the great earthquake happens and people respond to the life and witness of the two witnesses. Last verse. The second woe is past. The third woe is coming. That's the seventh trumpet. Now let me tell you this. That's not woe for us. That's our exit visa. That's our graduation day. Paul talked about the last trumpet. We're going to talk about that next week. So you remember last week, our theme was don't ask, but take. Remember that? How does Revelation wrap up? The spirit and the bride says, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Have you taken the Lord's gift? Are you willing to suffer for him? Because the Lord is coming back, as we said early on in your outline. He still wants a witness. The question is, will we be ready? So here's my last thought. What are your convictions? Whether he comes back before the tribulation or after, what's your conviction? Here's my question. Do we live like Jesus is returning? Do people know that? I just got to say something awful and all the NBA fans are going to hate me. But last year, the Lakers won the NBA championship during the COVID year. So this year, they stacked their team with even better players. And everyone said, well, in the Western Conference, it's going to be the Lakers. Oh, they're going to be back. 
And then the Brooklyn Nets stack Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, uh, Blake Griffin, all these all-stars in their starting lineup. And everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be Brooklyn Nets and Los Angeles Lakers. And that's all they talked about all year. Brooklyn and L.A., Brooklyn and L.A. You all ready for this? We're now to the conference finals of the East and West, and neither team is there. The Clippers are, that's right. But not the Lakers or the Nets. All year long, everybody lived like, we know who's going to be there. We know. And they talked about it, and they were proud about it. And they, What do we do about Jesus coming back? Do we live as witnesses that he's coming back? He doesn't want us to be perfect. He wants us to be faithful. And Jesus, we want to be your witnesses. And friend, if God has spoken to you, and no matter what comes your way, if you want to recommit to being a witness to God, would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand if you're recommitting to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Yep, I see hands going up all over. Jesus, use us. Get us ready. Whether you come back before the tribulation or after, your church needs to be a witness and be ready. Thank you for the great witness you are, Holy Spirit. It's not us. It is you in us, and it is the power of your eternal word. Let First Baptist of Temple City offer hope as a witness to this world. And we'll give you the glory because you are everything. Right, church? In Jesus' name, we all shout. Amen. And as you are a witness for Jesus Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you. And as he lifts up his countenance, may Almighty God grant you his peace, church. I love you. Have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can subscribe and share with your friends. To support our ministry, go and click the link in the description to give online. To connect with us, to know more about who we are, or if you have a prayer request, go to our website at templecitybaptist.org. We would love to hear from you. May God bless you. See you next week.